So hi everyone and welcome to Architecture in the Den with me, your host, Lisa, Lisa Rains from, Arch from <laughs> Pride Road, the Architectural Practice Franchise. And um, today I'm with um, Nicola Phillips. Um, so Nicola, I, I can't remember how we found each other. How did we come across each other? From me listening to one of your previous podcasts. Oh, okay. Brilliant. Um, how, <laughs> so how, how did you find about, out about my podcast? I think it could have come up in my LinkedIn Mm -hmm. And from a contact of mine, I know you interviewed an architect that I knew that then come up in my uh, LinkedIn feed. And it was about gender diversity in architecture and across the board in construction. Um, Which I think we're going to be talking yes. about. So um, before we kind of uh, delve too much into it, first of all, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Nicola Phillips and I own Nicola Jane Landscape Design, which is a landscape design studio based in Stockport. And I've been a landscape architect for 12 years now. Cool. So when did you set up on your own? Oh, it's 10 months ago now. So, yeah. That's so exciting. Yeah, it's been really, it's been, yeah, it's been really good. It's been a, it's been a very interesting journey learned a lot but um yeah it's been really good and i've been supported by a lot of people so it's been great and and what made you make the leap into um there's a few things really so um back in march when the pandemic first hit um i was going back to work after having my second son and then i went back to work for five days and then covid hit and i was furloughed for six months so it was, that had quite a big um physical and mental impact on me having two young children at the time three and one and um, being at home effectively i felt like i had no job even though i did um i did work for a, a really good big multidisciplinary consultancy flexible working so that was fine um but being furloughed for six months just got me thinking of things that I want to do for the future and being around for my children more. Um, so that then kind of led me to set up my own practice after going back after three months. So, yeah, and I kind of concentrate on a different scale that I previously worked with. So I do more domestic design as well as residential design, but just not on the larger scale that I previously did. Mm. And how do you find it working on that kind of domestic scale rather than the larger scale? Um, I think because I'm still working in residential design commercially as well. So I've done a couple of hotels and I've done um, a wedding venue and also doing um, high end homes, but also the typical domestic scale. I think you actually make more of an impact because it's how a family orientates the house. It's how much that open space interacts um, with them and how much it means to them. And sometimes it can mean more, I think, mm -hmm. than um, mm -hmm. a commercial project. Not that it's a bad thing being commercial projects, because I work on those as well. But when you work at the domestic scale, it it kind of, yeah, it means more, really, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I work in domestic. So Pride Road, we, we're incredibly niche. So that's one, one thing we did. Uh, I did early on with, with my practice when I kind of set up was niched um into domestic residential so um i mean when i first started and kind of someone asked me what sector do you want to work in i was like i want to help as many people as possible so i thought that meant social housing or you know large-scale resi sort of same as you but what i realized was 
and some like you've just said is you can actually have more of a, an impact working on kind of individual designs but actually do quite a lot of them yeah so you know if you've got a really good throughput of kind of domestic projects you're actually helping an awful lot of people um and having much more of a personal kind of relationship with them than than you would with a commercial client so yeah. i love it absolutely love it and i've been doing it for like 10 years and i still love it i did a workshop this morning with a client and you know you're going into people's houses and you're kind of seeing how they oh they had an amazing garden <laughs> you kind of walk through an orchard to get to the house wow <laughs> they had like an old caravan in the in the uh in the garden as well it was down in tarpley <laughs> so yeah no i love it you get to really you get to talk to people and help them sorry just completely distracted no no it's fine <laughs> I told you the conversation would kind of go meander a bit <laughs> um so yeah I think a lot of the stuff that we've had a chat about previously kind of resonates with each other about gender sort of equality or inequality at the moment so are you involved the lands is it the landscape institute? landscape institute yeah i'm involved on the advisory council i was elected on the advisory council and i'm also part of the education and inclusion and diversity group for the landscape institute as well but it kind of came on the back of when i launched the business um i appeared on the national news in february um and it was an article based on the gender pay gap and how the pandemic affected women's careers and that's kind of where it all stemmed from, really. And as I spoke out about it, other people were coming to me, not just landscape architects, but various professions through construction saying, we're so pleased that you raised that on such a high profile level. This has happened to me. Like, I wouldn't repeat any of the stories because that's not what I'm here to do. It's just there's, there's a clear issue in the industry. Yes. People approaching me that have been missed opportunities or missed promotions or the employer wouldn't give them flexible working so they've sadly had to leave the profession um which in this day and age it's it's just nuts and it's really heartbreaking to hear that so many talented people are going to go if employers don't move with the time so to speak um and be flexible because let's face it um having a family is probably one of the most natural things and whether the, the woman or the man takes the maternity leave or the paternity leave, employers should be flexible around that and it shouldn't mean that somebody loses out on the career or the progress because of it. So, yeah, it's just trying to push that agenda, really, and trying to get construction to be flexible because it is possible. If yeah. the past 18 months haven't taught us anything, what what has it taught us? So, and, it, yeah. and it's one of the it's the the motivator why I set up first of all Rains Architecture when I went out on my own and then Pride Roads sort of like so I I've got three kids and I've been made twice made redundant twice whilst on maternity leave just because you know practices don't support part-time workers um, and you know they don't allow for that time off yeah. Um, and so, you know, and with Pride Road, you know, what we can do is kind of bring sort of people who've kind of uh, for people who've fallen out of the profession because of those issues back in 
which we've started to do. So, you know, there's five of us now and we've kind of all faced sort of issues around mental health as well and um, sort of childcare and all sorts along the way. And it's, uh, and it's hard to go back into conventional practice. So at Pride, Pride Road, you know, our ethos is, you know, we provide sort of, not four things, three things. Um, so it's a franchise, so you'd buy into a franchise, but we, we provide kind of like the business support skills because, um, you know, if you're, if you're thinking of setting up on your own, what as, as an architect or a landscape architect or with that profession, um, you know, we, we're taught how to do our, our specific skill, but we're not necessarily taught how to run a business. So, yeah, so we, we provide kind of like the business skills. We provide architectural support. So kind of CPD around our specific sector. So around domestic residential. So we're not looking at, um, you know, um, I'm just trying to <laughs> kind of think of something completely random, like, you know, window louvers or something like that, or, um, you know curtain walling when we're actually you know it's not necessarily relevant we, we provide kind of cpd around our specific sector um and then we also provide um most importantly uh sort of coaching uh confidence mentoring support um to our franchisees so it's so it's really the abc so architectural support business support and confidence so yeah. and it's that whole thing it's like the 360 kind of uh, uh, around the whole person really um and you know i've i've done this kind of entrepreneurially or however you say it um because i saw a need but i'm hoping that this you know what we've done can be taken back into the industry as a whole it should be because i think when you do set up your own business, there's so many facets to running a business that you just don't know about or don't mm -hmm. exist. You're like you can be a really good architect or a really good landscape architect, but actually running and owning the business is a completely different ball game. Um, so having that 360 support is, yeah, it's amazing. Mm. So what? So if you were talking to someone who was going to be setting up their own business, you know, in a couple of months' time. So this is you a year ago. What advice would you give? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I'd probably say believe in yourself because I'm probably my own worst critic. I'm all, I can win a really good job and then I'm always like, well, what about the next thing? What's happening in the next few months type of thing? So I think always believe in yourself would be the, the first thing and just go for it. I've had a few friends that have set up on their own and they they always said to me, oh, it'll be the best thing you'll ever do. And I'm just like, oh, but I'm too scared. Like I'm too used to being in an office around people and I don't want to be on my own. And they were like, you won't be. And yeah, and here we are 10 months later. I've never felt like I've been on my own at all. Like I found mm -hmm. a network of people to support me. People have been in the same positions. Yeah, and all the clients that I've had have just been really lovely and um, really appreciate where I've come from and why I'm doing it and things like that. So I know it's been, it's been a really nice process so far. Mm, um, so where have you been um, looking for, net for networking? Where have you been going? Where have you found your connections? 
Um, well, obviously the news kind of helped me a bit. <laughs> Going yeah. to all those, yeah, to all those thousand people that are tuned in. Um, but in terms of networking, um, I'm part of a Rafters networking group in Manchester. So that was one of them. And then just recently joined Women in Property. And then it's just kind of as I've gone through the circle, speaking to people, really. Like I've got friends in the industry that are structural engineers, friends that are architects. So it's just kind of building up there and slowly every step has, yeah, it's worked to date. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. And how have you found kind of networking online? Because you would have started mid, mid lockdown. People have ever known these these four walls yeah I've had a couple of unrestricted events and it was most bizarre because when you do actually meet people for the first time you're like oh you're an actual real person you're not just the person in the four walls so yeah no it's been really nice it's been good actually because I think you can be more productive being at home on zoom because you can attend more events because you don't have the traveling it's like with meetings you don't have the traveling so you've been able to do more yeah it was funny because we met in real life didn't we because I mean when we first had a chat on zoom and then I was like no I think we actually need to meet up face to face and I did I came over to your house and I had uh, I had my son in tow because he was you know sort of child care fell through or whatever and um that no that was really good and I think we found quite a lot of stuff um well uh stuff in common or kind of shared passions and and uh, I think we're gonna we're, we're attending women in property annual dinner together so that's gonna be really good fun and also I kind of gave you yeah a load of well some contacts and hopefully yes yes. so those one-to-one kind of um key meetings can then unlock a whole like the next (laughs) it's like Tetris or whatever yeah I mean that's the way it works I mean I know a lot of some of the projects I found out about for example at Christmas but it didn't start until maybe may so some of the projects have quite a long lead time of when um the planning drawings might need need to be done for so a lot of the projects if they start at a certain phase and then you get to it then yeah making those contacts early on are are quite crucial and i've been quite lucky i mean i'll always say i feel lucky but my husband will always tell me it's because i'm actually good at my job (laughs) (laughs) i think you make your own luck don't you yeah yeah so so what are you doing at the landscape institute um at the landscape institute i was elected in what we are now august july to yeah. sit as part of the advisory council so um, what does that actually mean so we the seven members have been elected and we basically gather the opinions of everyone that's a charter member of the landscape institute and if they want to put anything forward in any of the meetings we meet four times a year and we have an agenda of all the different things that they have to go through and then it has to go to the board, but we have to approve various things. And if we've got anything extra that needs adding to that. So yeah. we do get a, I would, we do get a say, um, but it's also great to have a voice um, that we can go to the board. We can go to the CEO. We can say, well, this is, this is the issue that's going on at the moment. What can we do about it? Interesting. Um, how many members are there in the Landscape Institute? Oh gosh, now you've got me. Yeah. I would say there's a few thousand. There's got to be. Yeah. Yeah. 
there's got to be a few thousand because I know the the voting that's just gone for the advisory council. Yeah, I took fifty seven percent of the vote vote, and that was the highest they've ever had. Is twenty two percent of their um, candidates coming out? So twenty two percent of landscape architects voted, and that's the highest one they've ever had. Um, which is crazy when you sit, think how many more there are, but they just yeah. don't vote. Um, but yeah, it's the highest one they've ever had this year. So hopefully, fingers crossed, being controversial does work. Mm, very good. Yes, because um, I mean, I'm sort of I've been involved in the RIBA National Council, um, which probably which has a bit of a rubbish uh, turnout um, for members voting for sort of council members, <laughs> which we've just been through. And it's just it's that engagement. I think landscape architecture can sometimes get not pushed to the side, but I wouldn't say forgotten about mm. either. But when you're running a project, obviously the architect then leads it and sometimes landscape can kind of get either forgotten about or the architect does it, which is fine. So if you get quite a progressive architect that understands everything about landscape, then that's great. Mm. Um, but if we can get architects to understand how much site in the building um, could actually push the project forward more, then that's even better. I mean, many are, and there's so many examples of how it's, increased um i guess the demand on the projects by having a good landscape architect a good landscape led project again it depends where it is so and also um with uh, climate change now being high on the ipcc's um agenda mm -hmm. and um yeah um and the cop coming in november then it's getting pushed more and more how much landscape needs to go into projects but for that to happen it's the government that needs to react the government needs to make it legislation which it's currently not doing and because they're not putting it into legislation then developers aren't following it they're not going to do yeah. extra things so unless it's yeah. absolutely unless it's in legislation they don't it won't do it so yeah. it's why we've got flooding it's why we've got various other things because you're building on a floodplain you would have thought you'd need a lot of landscape to take up the water or suds or anything mm -hmm. but you'd be surprised so yeah if the government needs to change the legislation in order anything else to happen but yeah landscape architects should be leading the uh, climate emergency but we'll see how um yeah see how that pans out right okay and you mentioned cop what was that hang on this is where i'm going to get it completely wrong it's it's oh, should have actually got it before oh don't worry <laughs> we're human <laughs> that's what we know it's the climate change it's the climate pledge cop 26 the united nations climate change conference um it's coming in november climate. and it's yeah and it's being held in glasgow so um we're basically on the on the back of cop 26 coming um everyone's highlighting the need for what needs to be done to help with climate change um so it's kind of been put to the forefront, obviously, recently with the IPCC's report about us making things uh, irreversible, which is um, absolutely heartbreaking to hear. Um, but it just needs things going into legislation and, yeah, else people aren't going to do it. So is that something that you're kind of getting involved with at the Landscape Institute and pushing? Well, the Landscape Institute would be then lobbying the government and be then mm -hmm. going on the back of with other institutions about putting things down in legislation because there's only so much we can do. We can push landscape to a point where we're like, we need this going into the development and we need this going in because of biodiversity net gain. But 
the client can always push back. And because the client could push back, we don't have any legislation to say, well, actually, no, it's needed. Mm. There's a few councils at the moment um, have actually started to put um, landscape layouts and landscape planting plans as part of a discharge of condition that's needed. Mm. Um, because of the biodiversity reason, they want to make sure that everything's in line so okay. that they hit that target. Um, but yeah, it just needs, for example, in Wales, they have SAB reports where they have to submit water requirements as part of their planning application, along with a landscaping scheme with that, whereas in England, it's not, it's not required. So what um, councils in the UK are asking for landscaping schemes? So far, I do definitely know it's Stockport because those are the couple of schemes I've been involved recently with discharge of condition mm. that they're asking for. What size Salford development? Salford aren't too far behind. Sorry, say that again. Salford aren't too far behind. They're definitely hot on the heels of the biodiversity net gain. And um, what size of applications is that? It's every application. Every application. Yeah, it's every application. that They've, Salford are running the ignition project, which is about urban urban greening um, and that's yeah. run by the council and also the the university and um, they've got various things at the university that measure um urban urban heat and various other stuff like that so they're kind of the pioneer on that on that scale i would say for the manchester region so yeah hopefully more councils will follow else i don't see a way out of it in terms of how climate change is going to carry on so climate, climate change, and so we were talking before we came on air about uh, Michaela Wayne. Yes, recently this morning she was actually on. Um, she was on ITV News and um, talking about getting young females into construction. And um, she she helps run a women in construction group that's on on LinkedIn, which is very strong. And they have very they have um, podcasts, but they also have various other things where people can explain their stories and things like that. But Michaela's trying to push it um, to the government to make them react to understand the gender inequalities that we do currently have. Um, it's okay, like, for example, when you first graduate and then when you get up to a certain senior level, it's 50-50. But then as soon as you go higher to principal or to director, it drops drastically. Mm. And I know from the back of when I did the news, the Landscape Institute responded. And when they responded, the figures that were given were nothing short of shocking. And that's not changed within 30 years, mm. which you would have thought in 30 years, we would have got a little bit further. Mm. Um, but it only seems recently in the past 18 months when employers have realized oh we can trust people working from home or oh we can do flexible working or we can do job sharing but there is probably an actual way we can do this because we don't want to lose staff mm. um it, sh it shouldn't have taken a pandemic for employers to realize that um but yeah she was mainly talking about getting young women into construction and about how seeing how it's not just bricks and mortar it's not getting dirty on a construction site that there is the design roles that goes with being in construction. So for the QSs, your architects, your ecologists, everything that you need as part of a design team is part of that construction process. Mm -hmm. And it's just educating the younger generation that that is the case. Because I know when I was 
when I was at school and then when I went on to do my A-levels, fortunately for me, I had a careers advisor that saw what, like the aspects I enjoyed, the, the A-levels that I did. And he was actually best friends with the landscape architect. So he sent me to him and then forever I still speak to him now and I've got all him to thank for because Uh that's where it kind of changed for me but if I didn't have had that connection Mm. I wouldn't know where I would be so it was kind of a I guess a fate situation whereas I think now we uh, the Landscape Institute have a campaign called Choose Landscape where we can go into schools obviously it's Mm -hmm. been quite difficult at the moment to do that um, to basically explain what we do as a profession so people can understand that um, it just needs that across the board though in construction because I'm already seeing it now in terms of the skill shortage that we have at a senior level but also at a graduate level because there's less going to university now because of the cost of it so how is things going to change um, so yeah it's a it's a long road but it's going to have to change pretty quickly else we're going to have an um, even more of a skill shortage than we've already got Mm, absolutely well um I think our time's come to an end already (laughs) thank you I told you it just flies by Um, yeah so if anyone wanted to get hold of you whether they were interested in getting involved in the Landscape Institute how would they get hold of you um if you find me on LinkedIn if you just search Nicola Phillips or um yeah it'll be on there and then all the details for my company's on there and even what's your company called uh, Nicola Jane Landscape Design and even if you pop that in Google the website will come up straight away which then links you to my Instagram page brilliant brilliant um so well thanks very much for coming on oh, thank you for having me and uh for those listening um if you've enjoyed the the podcast you can check us out on YouTube um or Spotify uh please subscribe like share and if you want to get involved, please get in contact with me, Lisa Rains. Uh, you can find me on my website, prideroadfranchise.co.uk and uh, get in touch. So um, thanks very much, Nicola, and see you soon. Thank you.